The scripture reading comes from Numbers 6, 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron, and uh, I am blessed to be one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you to our uh, 11 o'clock service. I'm also very keenly aware of what time it is right now, and uh, I realize that Matt in many ways has already given a sermon, so I'm going to try to keep this as brief as possible. Uh, We're finishing up a series today called Liturgy, uh, Why We Worship the Way We Do. And the reason why we're doing the sermon series is because I believe that the most important habit of the Christian life is our weekly Sunday worship. And because the, uh, observing the weekly, our weekly Sunday worship service is so important, and in our case it's a little over one hour a week, it's imperative for us to understand what it is we're doing when we meet for this one hour, but not only to understand what it is that we're doing, but to also understand why it is we're doing what we're doing. So we sing, we confess, our, uh, we confess our sins, we recite our creeds, we hear a sermon. This is what we do, but why are we doing what we're doing? And to finish up our series, we're going to take a look at the last element of our worship service, and that is the benediction. And we'll take a look at four things very briefly about this. Number one, why do we do a benediction? Number two, uh, uh, sorry, number one, what is a benediction? Number two, why do we do a benediction? Number three, how to receive a benediction? And number four, why you need a benediction, okay? So very quickly, number one, what is a benediction? The word bene means good, diction means word. So very literally, a benediction is a good word. And a benediction is not something that we say to God, but a benediction is something that God says to us. And so in many ways, a benediction has the complete opposite direction from prayer and singing. When it comes to prayer and singing, this is something that we do to God, and so the direction is from earth to heaven, but but a benediction is something that God says to us, and so the direction is from heaven to earth. And so in other words, the source of the benediction is God himself, which is why three times in this classic benediction in number six, it says, the Lord bless you, the Lord shine his face upon you, the Lord turn his face to you. The fact that it's mentioned three times obviously has allusions to the Trinity, but it also means that the source of the benediction is God uh, himself. Okay, now if you take a look at the contents of this benediction in number six, and by the way, there are numerous benedictions throughout the Bible. This is the most classic one. But when we take a look at this benediction number six, there are six statements. Number one, the Lord bless you. Number two, and keep you. Number three, the Lord turn his, uh, make his face shine upon you. Number four, and give you grace. Number five, the Lord turn his face to you. And number six, and give you peace. Now, we don't have time to look at each of these six elements of the benediction, but I want to take a look at the two that are the most ambiguous. The first is the phrase, the Lord keep you. Now, what in the world does it mean when it says, the Lord keep you? 
Very basically, very simply, what it means is the Lord protect you, watch over you, guard you. And so if you've seen Lord of the Rings or any movie uh, akin to Lord of the Rings, you know that there are usually city walls in a battle scene. The point of the city walls is to protect the insiders from outside intrusion. And so when the pastor comes up and says, the Lord keep you, what we're basically saying is the Lord be like a city wall around your life, a fortress to protect you, guard you, watch over you. So that's what the Lord keep you means. Now there's a second phrase in this benediction that is equally ambiguous and yet is the most familiar. And that is the first phrase, the Lord bless you. Now what does it mean for God to bless us? Because this is a phrase that both the religious community uses and the non-religious community uses. So what in the world does it mean to be blessed by God? Let me read you a quote on the first page of your bulletin from Christine Gordon uh, in her article, hashtag bless may not mean what you think. This is what Christine Gordon says, search hashtag blessed on Instagram and you will find more than 100 million posts. The hashtag highlights pictures of beautiful places, toned bodies, new babies, graduations, successes, and abundance. Scrolling down, you'll see recent business startups, wonderful technology, new marriages, and fancy cars. All of these are good things, gifts given to humanity by a loving God. But the hashtag seems to say this is the only way God blesses us, by giving us obviously good things. Have we defined the blessed life as one of abundance and power, popularity and success? Imagine instead opening your Instagram feed and reading a story about a woman who has lost, just lost her job. In her post, she wonders how she'll cover her next mortgage payment, how she'll get school supplies for her children, and how she'll pay for the repair her car desperately needs. What should her hashtag be? Hashtag not blessed? Or what about a post by a mother whose child lives with a myriad of birth-related problems? Her most recent status talks about physical suffering, learning disabilities, and the independent life her child will never have. Her hashtag, hashtag cursed. What Christine Gordon is talking about here is that from our, a cultural definition, a very cultural definition of blessed, a blessed life is uh, the equivalent of a good life. And a not-so-blessed life is the equivalent of something that is a not-so-good life or a cursed life. Okay. But what's so interesting is that when you take a look at the Scriptures, in the New Testament in particular, over 100 times the word bless, blessing, or blessed is used in the New Testament. And in almost every case, if not every case, the word bless has nothing to do with the good life. The word blessing has nothing to do with material possession. The word blessed has nothing to do with the perfect set of circumstances. Instead, in almost every case, if not every case in the New Testament, the word blessed is associated with the words pain and suffering. Did you know that? Let me give you an example. In Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, because he gave a sermon on a mountain. The most popular portion of the Sermon on the Mount is a, a portion called the Beatitudes, which simply means blessing. And Jesus begins uh, the 
this portion by saying, blessed are the poor? That's strange. Blessed are those who mourn? What? Why is someone blessed if they're mourning? Because it means that they're experiencing sorrow. Blessed are those who are insulted? What? How is someone blessed if they're insulted? Because it means that they're being ridiculed. Blessed are those who are persecuted? What? Why is someone blessed if they're being tormented or experiencing some kind of infliction? And yet, throughout the Beatitudes, the word blessed is oftentimes associated with pain and suffering. And not just the Beatitudes, but the entirety of the New Testament. And the reason why this sounds so countercultural to every single one of us is because we think that the way to excavate blessings into our life come from the traditional places, the good life, work, money, travel, food, marriage, kids. This is a way of excavating blessings into our life, and yet when you take a look at Jesus' words, these are not the places to excavate blessing, but the places to find blessings are in the places where we would not normally be inclined to look. But this is a paradox to a lot of us, and the reason for that, let me read another quote from Kevin DeYoung, is because we bought into the traditional mode of finding blessings. And this is what DeYoung says is a worldly way of talking about the Beatitudes. And he says, if we are honest, we too easily buy into the Beatitudes of the world. Blessed are the rich, for theirs is the kingdom of pleasure. Blessed are those who feel good about themselves, for they shall be confident. Blessed are the aggressive, for they shall control the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for recognition, for they shall be noticed. Blessed are the demanding, for they shall receive what's coming to them. Blessed are the sexually liberated, for they shall be their own gods. Blessed are those who are praised by the world, for theirs is the kingdom of now. Now, if we were to juxtapose Jesus' way of excavating blessings and the world's way of excavating blessings, the world's way seems to make most sense. And yet, according to Jesus, if you really want to be blessed by God, don't look for it in the traditional ways of finding it, but look in the places that you are not inclined to look. There's a song by Laura Story that I want to read for us, which is the final quote. And she talks about where to find blessings. And Story says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointment or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise. And what, what she is saying, what Christine Gordon is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that suffering is the best anchor to root us in our relationship with God. Suffering anchors us with God in a way that happiness, fortune, and success uh, never could. And so this is what a benediction is, very simply a good word of blessing in your life. And what does that mean? To be truly blessed then means to be so fully satisfied in God that it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You are so fully satisfied in God when you are blessed that when the waves come crashing in your life, there's still a buoyancy about you. That, according to the New Testament, is what it means to be blessed. Now, why do we do a benediction in our service? The main reason why we do a benediction in our service is because we can't self-benedict ourselves. 
We can only get it from another person. Let me give you an example. My, uh, my second daughter, Hayden, uh, this week, she took her first steps. She stood up for the very first time, took one step. The next day, she took two full steps. And as soon as she did it, she, she, she stands up like this, like she's sort of like surfing. And she looks at me with her mouth wide open, looking for validation, justification that what she did is super, super important. And in a pitch that I did not know could go so high, I say, good job, Hayden, good job. And she, she claps because she's so happy that she's received a validation, a good word, a benediction, if you will. You know what my daughter does not do? She does not look in the mirror, and she doesn't say, you, you precocious one-year-old, you, you're just about ready to conquer this world. She doesn't do that. She doesn't pat herself on the back and, and benedict herself. And so contrary to what self-help books might say about uh, speaking to yourself, those things might matter a little bit, but you know what matters a whole lot more? When somebody else says that about you. Now, if you don't seek a benediction from God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to seek it in something else. And the two things that we typically seek benedictions from, a good word from, is work and romantic relationships. Isn't this a reason why some of us are working so hard? Because we want the promotion, the title, the salary, to get a good word from our boss, to get a good word from our parents, to get a benediction from society. Isn't this the reason why some of us work so hard? So we're looking for benediction. And if you're not looking for it from work, you're looking, at, you're looking for it in your romantic relationships. There is almost nothing as ethereal in this life as someone staring you directly in the eyes and explaining to you why they love you. There is, there is almost nothing as heavenly and as ethereal as that. And some, when someone speaks a good word into our life that way, we feel, our hearts feel so rich, so full. We feel like we're important and that we actually matter. But here's the problem with seeking benedictions in anything other than God. You do know that you can get fired one day, right? You do know that that promotion that you got can turn into a demotion one day. You do know that with your romantic relationships, it could go sour. And at one point, you were the most loved person on earth, and all of a sudden, you're persona non grata. You're no longer welcome here. The only benediction, the only blessing that lasts, fully satisfies and quenches our thirst is the blessing of God. Now, why is his benediction the only one that lasts, and how in the world can we get that benediction from him? How do we get it? Well, I think most of us have seen the movie Beauty and the Beast, and in this movie, there is a handsome prince, and the prince is hosting a ball in his palace, uh, Great Gatsby style. And a beggar comes to the palace seeking refuge from the rain. But the prince sort of shoos her away because she doesn't belong in this sort of uh, upper-class tribe. And because he shoos her away, the beggar reveals and unveils her true identity as 
And because of this prince's pride and his lack of kindness and compassion, she casts a curse and a spell on him and all of the castle inhabitants. The prince turns into a beast. The castle inhabitants, they turn into household objects like teapots, kettles, clocks. And in one of the scenes, a candlestick named Lumiere says that with every passing day, we are losing our humanity. And you know how the story goes. There's a, uh, a savior, a messiah named Belle that comes. And because of her unconditional love for the beast, the curse is reversed. The beast is turned into a handsome prince. The household objects are now turned back into real humans and love triumphs and all is restored once again. You know why stories like this deeply resonate with our hearts? Because it's true. All of these fairy tales, they really point to what C.S. Lewis would say is the truest story of all. You know that because of our pride and because of our sin, our lack of kindness, the fact that we're not compassionate, because of our sins, we were once made in the image of God. That image now is completely shattered and broken and marred. And with every passing day, we become more and more beast-like and we lose our humanity. We are not who we were intended to be, what we were created to be, and we have lost, uh, we're losing that image. But here comes Jesus, and out of his love for us, he reverses the curse so that we are restored to the people or born again to the people that we were always meant to be. Now, how does he do it? Well, on the cross, something really magical happens. Because on the cross, Jesus receives not the benediction of God, but on the cross, Jesus receives the malediction of God, the malediction that you and I deserve. The benediction says the Lord bless you. But you know what? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was not blessed. He was cursed. In the New Testament, it says, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. The benediction says the Lord keep you. He wasn't protected. He wasn't guarded. He wasn't washed over. There was no city walls around him. He was abandoned. The benediction says the Lord make his face shine upon you. On the cross, there was nothing shiny about it other than complete darkness. The benediction says and give you grace. But on the cross, Jesus experienced no grace, just judgment. The benediction says the Lord turned his face toward you. On the cross, the Father turned his face away from him. He was forsaken. The benediction says and give you peace. And on the cross, Jesus experienced no peace. The only thing he experienced was utter, utter chaos in his life. And the reason why Jesus experienced not the benediction of God, but the malediction of God on the cross is so that we would never have to experience it ourselves. This was the only way of reversing the curse. That's why the cross is so important to every one of us. Now here's why you need this benediction every single day. The reason why you need this benediction more than any other benediction in your life is because words matter. Good words matter, bad words matter. All words matter because they construct who we become. 
So when your parents are telling you, why are you so overweight? When your boss says, why are you so incompetent? When your ex says, why are you so selfish? These words have a way of constructing who we think we are. And oftentimes these things ultimately hijack what our true, true identity is. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, the worst things that have ever been said about us have not been said by other people, but they have been said by ourselves. You idiot, you stupid. No one's ever gonna love you. You're such a loser, you're a failure. Some of the worst things that have ever been said about us have not been said by other people, but they have been said by ourselves. Do you know why we close every service with a benediction? Because you need to know that this is not the final word over your life. The final word over your life is that God loves you, but he not only loves you, he likes you. This is why we close every service with a benediction, and it is this benediction that you have to construct your identity around. Let me give you a quick illustration and we'll wrap up. Imagine for a moment that um, for your whole life, you've always been a disappointment to your parents. You've always felt like a loser, a failure, a nobody. And then one day you, you go up the attic and you find a chest, a dusty, dusty chest. You open up the chest and you find all, this, all these new newspaper clippings and, and, um, and, and documents and you discover that these are actually not your parents at all. In fact, they're your kidnappers. Your true parents, your mother is a Nobel Prize winning scientist, your father's a professional baseball player. And there's a $10 million reward for anyone that finds you, which means that you have a lavish inheritance waiting for you. And so you close the treasure chest, you walk down the steps, but this time, you suddenly have a fresh pair of eyes. You no longer look at yourself like a loser or nobody. All of a sudden, you feel like you're super, super special. But here's the thing. That was always true of you. And you had the DNA to prove it. But you just couldn't see it at the time. A Christian is someone that can fall asleep under the smile of God because they are no longer dependent upon the smiles and evaluations of other people. And one of the things that you have to be reminded of today, one of the things that you have to know is that the final word over your life is that God loves you. It's interesting to me that when you read the Gospel of John, John always refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that interesting? Oftentimes when we describe ourselves, we talk about the things that we love. We love to eat, we love to travel, we like sports, we like to make things, we like yoga. This is who I am. And so oftentimes the way that we def define and describe ourselves is by the things that we love. But John describes himself as someone that is loved by someone else. And it seems to me that is what the benediction is all about that you are not only defined by the things that you love, but first and foremostly, we need to be reminded that you are loved by God himself. Please pray with me.
Heavenly Father, there are so many things that can uh, hijack our identity, and uh, there are so many tantalizing things that sort of uh, offer us the world, and yet, uh, as Matt talked about so eloquently, uh, leave us thirstier uh, ever after. So help us to remember uh, that true blessing is found in you, and that true satisfaction is found in you, and true buoyancy is found in you, no matter what life throws at us. So give us that uh, uh, that satisfaction and that meaning that we all so desire and help us to anchor it in you. In Jesus' name I pray.